Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the Habitat Podcast. My name is Jared Van Hees. I'm your host. We're here to become better habitat managers. For those new to the podcast, thanks for joining. As I just said, we're here to become better habitat managers. The point is to try to learn from these people that we interview. Uh, Tonight is a game plan episode. Our friend Teddy Clark out of Pennsylvania killed a nice buck two nights ago, and I figured we could learn from his strategy, his hunt, interview him, and see what happened. So a little business, I want to thank our sponsors. Sponsor number one is the Packer Max line of cultipackers. Lincoln over there at Packer Max has had a hell of a year his first year owning the business, and now Christmas season is coming upon us, and I figured that would be a great gift for, you know, you guys to share on your page. Maybe your wife sees it, orders you a Packer Max, call to Packer for those spring food plots. So, you know, could be. Could be a Christmas gift. Um, just a thought. We get 10% off for being a podcast listener. So if you just call Lincoln and mention the Habitat podcast, you get 10% off, which is $50 or more. So the base unit is 50 bucks, and as you go up, uh, the more you save. So check that out, guys, packermax.com. The second sponsor we have tonight is the Habitat Hook by Nick Nation of Nation's Creations. A lot of rhyming there, but it's all for good. He made a great product, invented it himself uh, for hinging trees and TSI work. If you follow us on the Facebook page, you'll see a picture I shared of the hook itself and also of his woods where he opened up the canopy and allowed the brambles and briar and understory to come up, which the deer are loving. Uh, I picked up the aluminum extendable version, which is lightweight in your hands. You can hold it above your head all day long, and you're not going to get tired. This thing is sweet. They're powder-coated. It can help you pull or push a hinged tree over so you don't have to get it stuck up on another tree as it falls down and just makes life easier in the woods. So check him out 
at nationscreations.net. And I just want to thank Nick and Lincoln for the trust in the podcast and your sponsorship. So without further ado, let's get Teddy Clark on the line. All right, guys, we're back with Teddy Clark. Teddy, you hear me? Yeah, I hear you loud and clear. All right, brother. You, my friend, had a hell of a weekend, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yes, I did. Yep, uh, I, yeah. I had a great weekend uh, hunting in central, central Pennsylvania here. Um, it was a weekend that I don't think I'm ever going to forget. Okay, so people are starting to pick up on the fact that we're doing these game plan podcasts now, and what that is, as you know, I'm just trying to help people learn how people who are like yourself, who are already successful, how that success happened. You know, what did you do that maybe I can learn, they can learn from, and say, all right, well, it's mid-October, Ted did that, let's let's try maybe that and see what happens. Yeah. So that's kind of the point here. I'm kind of bad at explaining it, but that's... I think you're getting what I'm saying. Well, I, I am, and there's there's definitely um, a game plan that I had in place this season that definitely helped me harvest a buck on Friday night. Okay, and would we hear any of that game plan in episode number seven when you were first on the podcast, or? Well, we did, but that was, the, you know, that was the habitat game plan, which we're going to touch base on, because that's the whole reason I harvested the buck that I, that I took on Friday night. Um, was 100% because of the habitat projects that I did. Cool. But there was an actual hunting strategy that I had in place this season that had I not used it the way I did, I don't think I would have seen this deer because I do have such a small property, um, you know, seven acres, and it borders state game lands. Okay. So, you know, 3,400 acres of state game lands, that gets pounded by bow hunters, um, there's definitely pressure is there and pressure is an issue. And that's why I wanted to get a bedding site put in on my property this year. Um, I had these habitat projects that I wanted to get accomplished this year because of the pressure from coming off that 3,400 acre game land. Um, so, you know, I'm just going to get right into what my strategy was, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead and start with the habitat strategy and then work right into your story. That sounds perfect. So, so, um, what I wanted to do was get get a bedding site put in place, and, and on the back of my property, it borders the game lands. I have a food plot that's always been um, very well manicured, very well taken care of because it is so close to my house. Uh, I literally walk out my back door, walk like 150 yards, and I'm at the edge of my food plot. I mean, it's right there. So it's really easy for me to keep it very well manicured um, and looking good. And now that was hard this year because we just got pounded with so much rain. Um, you know, every time I, I – Oh, we did, and I split my plot, which I've never done before. I did it on, uh, you know, talked to a couple guys from the Northeast Habitat page, Northeast Habitat and Deer Management or something, I can't remember the actual title, but you guys probably know the page. Oh, yeah. So it, Richard Yogi and all those guys are on it. So, so I was talking to Phil Holcomb and those guys. Um, I've become pretty good buddies with them, and Phil was like, you know, your plot, you should probably split into two different types of, of forage, and that way – you know, you're giving them that one-two punch, and I was like, oh, my God, that's such a it's such a great idea, and I never thought of it. It's such a simple idea, so I did that. I, I planted clover on one half of my plot, and on the other half, I planted our, our blend at Northridge, our forage greens blend, which is brassicas. It's all three different turnips, and it's got radish, and it's got rape in it, um, and it, got, it grew great, and then it got pounded by the deer early season, like way before hunting season. Oh, wow. Uh, 
and then it just got drowned out and never got a chance to dry out. So, like, it, it just – it looked so bad. And when it rains like that, the only thing that can really survive in, in a, a, such a wet season is weeds. And so I just had smartweed. I don't know if you're familiar with smartweed, but smartweed is yeah. terrible. Once you get it, it's really hard to get rid of. And, it, and like, when you mow it, um, you just spread it. And, and so, and I learned that the hard way two years ago. I mowed smartweed, and uh, I went back like ten days later, and it was like my whole plot was smartweed. I was like, "What? <laughs> what is supposed to happen?" Oh, so, yeah, so I didn't mow it this time. I sprayed it. So, so I sprayed the, the smartweed down, and and I went out and I spread some winter wheat late, uh, just like a week or two before season. I spread some winter wheat, and it germinated really well. I was really impressed with winter wheat. Actually, I've never planted winter wheat before, but it germinated in like two days. Uh, and I had a real, real problem with planting grain seeds, like cereals, that um, turkeys come in and they just annihilate it before it yeah. gets a chance to grow. But this stuff is a little bit smaller. Winter wheat's a little bit smaller than rye, and, and it's got a pretty hard shell on it compared to rye. So I think it withstood the barrage of birds and turkeys and everything else. And, and I mean, it, it really came in really thick for me. I was really impressed with it. That's, nice. that's going to be – yeah, it's going to be Marsnal probably every year from now on. So – but, but anyway, so I got my food plot looking pretty good. And then right above my food plot on the hill, on the top of the hill where the deer can see the food plot, I, I did that clear-cut bedding, and it came in fabulous. I mean, it came in thick. I built three, yeah, three specific beds in it, and I got deer bedding signs in all three of them. And so it worked out phenomenal. And then I was locking up to check a trail camera this summer in that bedding site. And I thought, well, I'm pulling my camera and getting out of here, and I'm never walking up here again because the buck that I ended up harvesting Friday night was bedded in one of the beds that I made. Uh, and I took no a picture way. of him on my phone. Yeah, I took a picture of him on my phone, and I posted it to the Northeast page, the Habitat page, and was like, well, bedding site worked, <laughs> you know, because there he is right on the edge of the clear cut. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so I ended up just – and he never got out of his bed. I walked up, I pulled my camera, and I, I sneaked out of there and, and – uh, so that worked out, and then I, I put in a water hole, uh, just went to Tractor Supply, got a 15-gallon, um, <laughs> which you guys saw. You already talked about on the internet because I am amazed at. Hey, buddy, so I, put I put this, in two of them after the podcast I did with you. I put in two of them. Did you have phenomenal results with them? Oh, they, I have every type of animal on the property in there. Yeah. Dude, so – I have one 15-gallon water hole, and I have trail cam pictures of multiple bear using it. Oh, wow. Multiple bucks, fawns, does, raccoons, squirrels, black squirrels, crows, turkey vultures, turkeys, <laughs> poults. I mean, I have pictures of skunks, opossums. I mean, I've got, yeah. like, so much wildlife utilizing, and it's just 15 gallons of water. I mean, it's got mosquito larvae in it. Yeah. You would think that it would be absolutely disgusting to drink, but these animals are at it night after night after night. Every single night I get pictures of something at it, and usually every day I have deer utilizing it. So nice. So that was definitely a win in my book. Um, I'll be adding a water hole to every one of my plots and or tree stand locations because it's such an easy thing to do. Yeah, uh, and it definitely helps turn that stand. It just gives the deer one more reason to walk past your stand. And why wouldn't you do that for fifteen for nineteen dollars? You know what I mean? Like it's just a no brainer in my opinion. No, for sure. And it was funny. Um, I had my father in law out on my property, and he's not too much into the habitat or, or hunting side of things yet. And he just wanted to come out and help. We're gonna shoot our our AR rifles uh, after we put it in plots and whatnot. 
He's like, what can I do? I'm like, well, I need a couple holes dug. You know, he's, like, he's like, I haven't dug a hole in 20 years. I'm like, well, here's a shovel. And uh, I need two of these water holes. Here, One goes here, one goes here. And he actually helped put them in. And um, yeah. and then I filled them up with uh, the water from my cultipacker. That worked out nice. And yeah. then uh, I swear, I, I put my camera over the water hole, a mock scrape, and then one of those vines kind of in the middle, trying to cover all three bases with one. Yeah, and they kind of ignored the vine, which was surprising. But they're hitting the water hole and the mock scrape like crazy. So, I uh, I love it, man. Like you said, I'll put one at every every spot because you never know if, if the does are coming in. You know, you know what follows. So, well, that's right. You know, and the fact is, I don't think a water site is ever going to scare a deer away. No, I don't think so either. You know, so it's only ever going to be an attractive, you know what I mean? And yeah. there's really no downfall to it, so why not do it? So I have pictures of the buck I harvested in my bedding, and I have pictures of them at the water site as well, multiple pictures of them at the water site. So now two out of my three habitat projects I did, this buck utilized. So that was awesome. Well, then last year I was, I was shed hunting, and uh, I found some husks of – those uh, spiky shells that chestnuts fall down in. And I found some of those laying on the ground. I started looking around, and I saw three what I believed were chestnut trees. And I was like, oh, man. But what had happened was the maples had grown up around them so much. And they have and big maples can get such a canopy on them. They were shadowing out these three chestnuts. And uh, and there was so much brush. And it was bush honeysuckle just grown up. And it was just choking them out in the understory, and they were getting choked out from the canopy of these maples. So I went and I cut down, um, I think I ended up chopping just five five trees, I think. I dropped five trees to get a little more sunlight. Uh, I took all the, the bush honeysuckle down around them. I kind of just uh, opened them up. I guess guys call that releasing. So I released these right. chestnuts. And I dropped a couple uh, I found in my shed, my garden shed. I found a pack of those Job's uh, fertilizing tree spikes. And I was like, it's worth a shot. So I drove some of them into the ground around these trees. Uh, they were loaded this year. I mean loaded. So wow. like when I walk, when I walk under these trees, um, you're not stepping on any dirt whatsoever. Like there's no bare dirt within a 30 yard radius of these trees. It is just all chestnut husks that you're walking on. Um, I, I cool. never, and now I don't have any experience with old mature chestnut trees. I don't know if they usually produce like that, but it, it was incredible. So I hung a camera on them. And, again, the Habitat guys always talk to Eric Zelensky. I'm, you know Eric right. and uh, Phil Holcomb and uh, Richard Yogi, yep. you know, Danny Caponia, Mike Novick, my partner at Northridge, um, Steve Lemke. Those guys were like, why don't you have a camera hung on there? And I'm like, um, because it's, uh, it's honestly like it's practically around the edge of my backyard. And they're like, so? You don't know what deer are utilizing that. And I'm like, oh, I guess you're right. So I hung a camera on these chestnut trees. Uh, I had bear climbing in them to shake the nuts out. What? I had wow. coons climbing up in them almost every night. I had, uh, this This is the biggest shocker, I had gray fox multiple nights climbing up the one chestnut tree and coming down, and you could tell there was their mouths were all packed up like a squirrel. And I was me. like, Dude, no, they were going up there getting chestnut seeds. But if you get online and look at the um, nutritional value of a chestnut compared to even that of a white oak, which supposedly everybody says white oak's king, 
Dude, the chestnut blows white oaks out of the water when you talk about nutritional values. So it okay. doesn't surprise me when I learned that, that these all sorts of wildlife was coming after these chestnuts. And obviously deer. There were so many deer on camera. I had deer groups of seven and nine deer coming down at a time to forage underneath these three chestnut trees. It was incredible. But I will say this, the only downfall is uh, the chestnut drops over. It's done and over. There's not a chestnut to be found under those trees. It, it stopped probably a week ago. Okay. Um, and there's no wildlife underneath these trees now because there's just no more. There's no more forage, and they've learned that. So, But I have pictures, surprise, surprise, the buck I harvested Friday night was under these chestnuts. When it was dropping, he was there every single morning sucking up chestnuts. So Jeez. all three habitat projects I did on my little property. I had this buck utilizing. So I had a very, you know, I had a brief history with this buck, but I, it was a passionate one because he was utilizing. He was the only deer I could recognize that was utilizing all three of my habitat projects. And, boy, was that motivation for me to do more. I want to expand my bedding site this year. Make it just a little bit bigger because it is kind of small. Make it a little bit bigger. Um, I don't need to do anything to the water site, but these chestnut trees, I can actually release them because the back of the trees, which would be the western side of the trees, still aren't getting any light, so they produce no nuts on that western side of the tree. They were, they were just they were bald pretty much. So wow. if I can chop a few trees down uh, this, this February, I'll take a few trees down on that end of them, and um, I think I'll be able to produce, you know, hopefully twice the amount of chestnuts I produced this year. So. So I can definitely expand on what I did, but so the three habitat projects it did worked out great because you know I had a buck that uh, to me was considered a hit lister and uh, and he was utilizing all three of them. So man, well, that's that's, that's pretty amazing, yeah. man. I mean to see that, especially because they're new, you know, they're new things to you. It's not just like a habitat project you've been working on for five years and just right. kind of new to you, which is even cooler. It, Right. It was a new project. I've never tried to make deer bedding before. I've never put in a water site before. I've never nibbed around with chest, with, with mature chestnut trees before. So to do these three projects and to have immediate results with them, with a buck that I considered a hit lister was, man, that was the, the most motivation I could ever get to do more habitat work, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I think just, that's probably a, a, good, a good time to jump in and say to all the listeners, if you guys are on the edge about doing something, you're not sure. And maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Get out there and try it. I mean, yeah, Teddy's exactly. a perfect example of just doing <laughs> if it. If I can do yeah. it, and I had I had no prior knowledge of these types of projects, and and I was able to do it and and get results, you know, pretty pretty astounding results in my opinion. I mean, anybody yeah. can do it honestly. Very so. nice. All right. So, well, then so yeah. So now that we've heard about how amazing those three projects turned out, which nice job on. Um, the real bread and butter, buddy. Tell us about this buck. <laughs> so, so, okay, so the season started in Pennsylvania, and it started warm okay. uh, temperature-wise. It was hot. And two years ago, let's, let's backtrack two years, I had a season that started basically the same. It was warm, and I didn't hunt very much. And I told myself I was going to only hunt this food plot stand uh, when the conditions were absolutely perfect i had to have a drop in temperature i had to have the perfect wind or i just simply wasn't going to go out there and i wasn't going to hunt i was spend time with my family spend time with my kids my wife had just had our second child we had a, we had a newborn at home um and i tell you october 22nd it was only my fourth or fifth time making it out period 
Uh, I went out. It was kind of a windy day. It was actually a fairly stormy day. It was spitting a little bit of rain, um, a huge temperature drop. I went out. I got in my stand, and I had a buck come in grunting the whole way, came right to the edge of the food plot, but didn't actually come into the food plot. Uh, and he presented me with a shot, and so I took it. But I couldn't get it on film, and I didn't actually have him eating my food plot, which is something I've always wanted to do. Being an owner of a food plot company, I've wanted to harvest a buck on film eating out of my food plot yeah, uh, for, obvi- for obvious reasons. And I haven't been able to connect on that. Um, I've been able to connect on bucks coming into my food plots, but I've never connected on one actually in a food plot. So, And I still didn't. But, but the same, on the same hand, the hunting plan that I had of only, instead of pressuring that stand in the early season, I was only going to hunt that stand when the conditions were absolutely perfect. And it's a really tough thing to do. When I grew up hunting, I taught myself how to bow hunt. Um, and I always thought the more time you put in a stand, the better your odds are. It's just simple yep. statistics. You want to connect with a deer, you got to spend hundreds of hours in a stand, you know, and that was just my mindset. And I'm, I'm starting to get away from that. So I used to notice the October lull everybody talks about. You know, mid-October, the deer are coming off of their feeding patterns that you've, you've patterned them on all summer and, and early fall. They're coming off of that feed. They're starting to transition into their breeding routes, but you don't have that figured out yet. So you're not, you don't know where these deer are. And so you're not seeing deer in the middle of October, and everybody just calls it the October lull. And a few years ago, talking to guys at PA bow hunting, Mark Missouri and them, I thought, you know what? I don't buy into this October lull. The deer don't disappear. They're still here. And the only thing that could possibly be changing them is me. I'm pressuring my stands too much. And, and so two seasons ago proved that to me. I barely hunted that stand, and I only hunted it when conditions were perfect, and it paid out for me. So I did the same this year, and it was only my third time out to stand. But we had a huge temperature drop. It went from 80 degrees to 40 degrees, and it happened in a day. So, I mean, we had a 35, 40-degree temperature drop. And I was like, I got to get out. I got to get out there, you know. So I hunted. I took some time off work Friday morning, and I hunted Friday morning, and I had deer, but I didn't see see that buck or any of the other. I'm, I'm sorry. Real quick question. When did that front hit specifically? What day? Was 80, what day was 40? Thursday. It was in the 70s, if not 80 degrees on okay, Thursday. Okay, so us and in Michigan, then, we then, were a day ahead of you. Wednesday was 80, Thursday was like 45, 50. Yeah, because you, you this storm came okay. from the northwest. So, yeah, that yep. makes perfect sense. So, so you were Thursday, then Friday was the first cold day. Not the, not the Friday, day after yeah. the front. It was the day of the front, correct? That's right. That's okay. right. So Friday, um, it was like Looking at the Weather Channel app by the hours, I believe it was like 3 or 4 in the morning when the temperature was just, you know, it was uh, 60 degrees at 3 in the morning, and then it was 50 at 4, and it was just dropping. And I thought, man, Friday morning's going to be amazing. And I went out and I saw some deer, uh, but again, owning owning my own business, I had to get out to work because if you're not working, you're not making money. So, you know, I only got to hunt for like two hours that morning, and I went into work. But um, But I saw deer. They were moving, so. So long story short, I got stuck at work Friday, and I was like, man, I was chomping at the bit to get caught up on paperwork, chomping at the bit to get out of work and get my tree stand, and I just couldn't get out. And uh, by the time I got home, it was 5 o'clock, and I was like, ugh. So I'm talking to my wife, and she's like, listen, you know you wanted to hunt tonight. You, I'm going to Montana next week on an elk hunt. She's like, you're not going to get a lot of time to hunt this year. 
just go out there. And I was like, all right, you know what, I'm going to take her advice. It had been kind of, I don't want to say spit and rain, but there was a little bit of precipitation, so the ground was a little wet. Uh, I thought I'll be able to sneak in there nice and quiet. My wind direction was perfect, and I'm still in that fairly recent temperature drop. It's still on the first day of that of that huge temperature drop. So I went out Friday night. I got my stand. I was settled in by like 515. Um, I had the biggest flock of songbirds come in, these little Tweety birds. I'm talking, there was like 300 of them, and they landed all around me. I mean, I had them like two feet from me. And it was just deafening because they were all doing their little chirps. And I was like, it was so cool at first, like a minute. And then I'm like, oh, my God, would you guys leave? I can't hear anything, you know. Uh, And then they all just like that, they all just took off. So that was really neat to experience that. Um, I had a pair of gray fox run through the the plot. It was neat. So the wildlife was out moving. Uh, Six o'clock hit. There's 10 after 6, I stood up, and I was like, I'm going to stand for the rest of the night. I've only got whatever it is, 40, 50, 60 minutes of daylight left. I stood up. I stretched my arms. I looked down, and there's a doe right under me feeding in the clover. And I'm like, I don't even know where the hell she came from. So I'm watching this doe, and she's just so calm. Like, she was just – there was there wasn't a care on her mind. She was just head down feeding for minutes at a time, and I'm watching her. And she started picking up her head and looking back at this pipeline that separates me from the game lands. And she kept looking at that pipeline, kept looking at it, kept looking at it. But she wasn't nervous. So I thought, okay, well, she's a great big doe. She's probably her yearling uh, getting ready to come across that pipeline, and that's what has her attention. Well, I looked out, and uh, I saw antlers coming across the uh, come across pipeline, and I immediately recognized this buck because, well, it was him. It was it was the buck, the only buck that had utilized all three of my habitat projects. So, I mean, I, his antlers are forever burned into my mind. <laughs> and his his left side, his G2 and G3 are like an inch apart. So he's, and it's almost like he's palmated in that whole big section of his main beam there. So, and I saw that. I immediately saw that and was like, oh, my God, it's him. It's him. That's the first time in my hunting career that I've seen a buck and gone, it's him, and I'm going to get a shot at him, you know. Uh, and he came out into the clover, and he's feeding, and I've got just fantastic footage of him feeding in my clover plot. Oh, but I had awesome. a branch in the way. You know, I had I had this one branch of this witch hazel in the way, and I'm like, you know what, this is okay because my nerves were a little rattled at that point. Um, so it gave me a chance to film him, gave me a chance to calm down. I've got like two or three minutes of footage of him just stuffing his face with clover. And he took two steps past that branch, and I drew. Um, he was quartering away slightly, and I shot, and uh, and he ran up the pipeline, ran uphill, which I first made me a little nervous. And I could see that I didn't get a complete pass through, and I was shooting a lighted knock this year, and so I could see my knock go um, up the pipeline, and I could see him turn, and he was sort of walking into that bedding site that I made. And then the knock disappeared. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to back out. I'm going to give him a couple minutes because he, he was on his feet for a minute or two after I shot. And I was like, well, that's obviously not a double lung because he would have been, you know, expired by then. So my buddy showed up. And, you know, I, you, know you always got to call your buddy. You know, I gave him a call and was a complete blubbering idiot on the phone. You know, you can't even get full words out. <laughs> well, I mean, you, like, your shot looks really good based on that. That Facebook video you put up, I mean. Yeah, yeah. And and so he came in, you know, my, my buddy, we all call him Bug. Bug showed up, and we're looking at the footage together, and he's like, listen, bro, he's like, I think your shot might be a little bit back. And I was like, 
It is, but he was quartering away. I mean, I, I really do feel like I drilled this beer. And he's like, well, let's just play it safe, man, and let's just – let's honestly, let's have a beer. I'm not a great big drinker, but he's like, let's have a beer and let's just let's just chill for a minute. Yeah, so I agree. Nothing wrong with that. We hung out for like an hour, and it had already been about an hour since I shot. So it was, we gave him about two hours, and uh, we went out, walked, walked out, and then we walked to where I shot him. And uh, we followed, and his blood trail was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, not what I expected. And uh, just a phenomenal blood trail. We walked up to where he had turned off the pipeline to go into the bedding site, and we could see the lighted knock just uh, glowing there. Because you really? And so we were, yeah, we were all excited. We went running up to him. And uh, to be honest with you, he died in the bed that I have, that I saw him. When I walked up to pull my camera months ago, I saw him laying in this bed, and he was literally dead in the same bed. You're so, kidding me. No, not at all. It goes to show you that when these deer get used to these habitat improvements, when they get used to that bedding, that's where they go when they're hurt. They go to that first place that they have always felt safe at. Right. So he, he died in his bed, you know. He wasn't quite in the bed. He was, like, two feet in front of the bed. Uh, he had just he, – he crashed, you know. But that's where he was heading. You can tell it's where he was going. Oh, my um, gosh. Wow, dude. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean, I, I saw him utilizing that bed, and then he literally died in that bed. So uh, it's the first time in my hunting career that I've killed a hitless buck. It was the first time in my hunting career I've gotten a buck harvest on video. Uh, it was the first time in my career I killed a buck eating my clover. Uh, and it was the first time in my career that I've done all these habitat projects and had a deer utilize all of them. So, I mean, it was like. This deer is the most memorable, and he's not even my biggest buck, but he is by far my most memorable buck I've ever harvested and probably will be uh, for a very long time. I hope he will be for a very long time, which is odd to say because you always want to better yourself, but this is just such a great feeling that uh, I, I think it's going to be hard to pass up, even though he's not, not a great big, huge deer. It's just going to be hard to pass. Well, hey, man, I just want to say congratulations uh, again. I mean, he's a beautiful buck. You're not hunting a gigantic property with, you know, 25, three-year-olds running around. It, I get that. And for yep. all those it, things it, to go right for you, I mean, it, it's just a beautiful night. He's a great – he's a what, eight-pointer? Like he's an eight-point. Eight yeah, yep. he's an eight-point, yep. You shot him. You made a great shot on film. I filmed my hunts. So I know how freaking tough that is. Your footage oh, is, is amazing. I, I mean, I saw just – all I saw was the, the shot, but – that was awesome. Nice job there. And then for yeah. him to, and, for him mean, to die in, your own, in, in his own bed that you made, that's the yeah. icing on the cake right there, buddy. <laughs> I that's know. the icing so, on the cake. Yep. So, uh, so I mean, I, the, the motivation is so high to go and, and, and work on that bedding site just a little bit more. I just want to tweak it a little bit, you know, wow. and uh, tweak those chestnuts a little bit more. Um, and, and, and I'll feel like there's actually maybe a chance that I could get this property exactly where I want it in one or two more years. And, you know, you talk to guys who do habitat, and they always say, you're never going to be done with your habitat plan. But yeah, it is I've such a that. small property. You know, it is such a small property, and I had such phenomenal results this year. So, like, my motivation is just sky high to go out there and finish all the little ideas that I had because cool, um, they all worked. I mean, yeah, yeah so. Very cool. No, that, that's awesome. And, I mean, that's just a great story. Your habitat improvements are awesome. I I learned a lot from our, my episode with you earlier this year and uh, from this one as well. Now, I'm trying to keep these, these episodes kind of to the point. What would you say, besides the three improvements you made, 
besides the weather being right, what would you, what advice would you give for somebody listening to this tomorrow, tomorrow's Monday, on pulling something off this week? I mean, I'm trying to keep this stuff current so we can all maybe learn from it and, and do something this week or maybe next weekend. What do you think was the driver to your success uh, that would be relatable to somebody maybe in Michigan or Indiana, et cetera? Yeah. Well, I think if you've been hunting your stand religiously and you've already sat in, in, you know, everybody has that stand. If you've already been in that stand, you know, your number one stand, if you've already hunted it a dozen times this season, maybe think about the fact that you could be pressuring those deer. You could be causing that October lull. Where would those deer go to stage before they come into whatever is making that stand your honey hole? Where would they be staging? And then possibly move in on them there. You know, if if you're hunting near uh, a clear cut, maybe they're staging on the other side of that clear cut until you're out of that stand because maybe you've pressured it just a little too much. Can you move in on that other side? Yeah. You know, and if you haven't pressured that stand, if you've done what I did and only hunted it when the conditions were absolutely perfect and it hasn't been pressured yet, then just get out there because we're still in those cold temperatures this week. So get out there and, and hunt it because I, I do not believe in the October lull. I, I really don't. The October lull is nothing more than hunters who have pressured their stands too much. So if you haven't pressured them, hunt because I do think this week's going to be good. Now that the temperatures drop that we're seeing in Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, that whole way across, that whole belt there, the temperature is still low this week. Um, Maybe these deer are going to start doing some some pre-rut. We might start seeing some pre-rut action. I'm not talking rut, but those are nowhere near being in heat yet. But, you know, maybe rattle. Maybe rattle or grunt. I would probably start rattling and grunting. Look back two years ago to where I had success. It was the same type of deal. It was a week later. It was October 22nd, but it was still in that October lull that people call it. Um, But I hadn't pressured that stand, and this buck came in grunting the whole way. I heard him grunting 100, 150 yards behind me. I answered him with my grunt tube, and he came right to the bottom of my tree. So that might be something you want to start utilizing this week as well. I like it. That's perfect. Um, actually, a friend of mine posted a video on Facebook tonight of an eight-point thrashing up a bush and bumping a doe around. Uh, she's obviously not in heat yet, but they're they're feeling their oats. And uh, yeah, I think uh, this cold weather has got them going, like you said. So I think that's, that's great advice. Yep, I, I, I really do. I think so. I think when the temperatures are just that warm, unseasonably warm, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just don't realize that it's mid-October yet because it felt like it was August. So they're still just out there feeding and sleeping, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But when that temperature drops, they realize, man, I got hard antlers. I got testosterone. I need to start posturing. I need to start fighting. I need to start figuring out this pecking order because uh, here in just a few short weeks, it's going to be all about hot does. And, uh, and I think now that the temperature drops, the deer, the deer are probably going to start thinking that way and realizing that. So, yeah, buddy, I can't wait. Are you? Uh, would you recommend like like feeding areas or more towards bedding or evening versus morning? What are your thoughts on that, real quick? Well, it's, it's very dependent hunting, to to what type of property you have. It, but. it it is it is like my 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 property behind my house is predominantly an evening spot, but again. Um, it, it's a feed spot. The deer come there to feed, and I tend to believe if you're hunting a feed spot, I think either spot would work. But I think if you if you're hunting a feed spot, um, I tend to focus on them in the evening. And if I'm hunting near a bedding site, 
uh, which which before I got into food plotting years ago, that's all I did. I would find the thickets. I would find where I thought the deer were bedding. I'd always have a pine thicket in the back of my mind for every season. For those days when it's windy, I always noticed on windy days the deer really love to be in pines, and they'll bump out around the edges of them to feed, but they never go more than one, 200 yards away from the edge of those thick pines. So if you've got a really windy day and you know of a pine thicket, that, that's a great bet to go uh, to go get a set in a stand and, and still probably see some deer because they're going to really favor those pines. It kind of buffers them from the wind a little bit. So, But but I always tend to hunt those bedding sites or breeding sites. Once you get into November, basically a bedding site turns into a breeding site, in my opinion. Right, um, right. I tend to hunt those in the morning, and I tend to, to focus on feed in the evening. So Okay. Very nice, man. Awesome. Well, hey, man, thanks for coming on. I appreciate, you know, you spending your time and, and telling your story on here. Anything else you want to hit before we wrap this up? No, other than uh, I'm still on uh, cloud nine. I mean, I'm still like, <laughs> I bet I've watched that. So I, I took a video of my, with my phone of my camera. That's all I've seen. Re- replaying replaying out the here, kill man. shot. Send me something. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I think I've watched that about 300 times now. <laughs> No, so, what do you uh, what do you film with? You got like a camera arm and all that, all that. Yeah, I've got, a, I've got a yeah. Um, so last year I upgraded to a fourth arrow camera arm, the carbon fiber arm. It's super light. Yeah, and, same uh, thing I run. Yep, nice arm. Yeah, sure. it is so nice. It really is. And I got a uh, cheaper Manfrotto um, head for it. Yep. And I've got just a Nikon Coolpix. Uh, camera, it's, it's a nicer one, you know, but it wasn't, I didn't go out and drop $1,000 on a Canon or, you know, yeah, it's, it's, no, a, I hear you. it's a two or $300 Nikon and, uh, it does great. It does really good video. It's all in, in HD or high def, whatever they call that stuff. But, um, that's, that's typically what I use when I film. I do have a little, like a GoPro type camera, but it's made by Spy Point. It's called the Arcel camera. Okay. Uh, and I'll run that on, um, when I'm doing my food plots, I'll take it, I'll turn it on, I'll throw it out in the field, and I'll I'll get a couple passes with the seed spreader over. It just makes for some neat footage to add to a to a video. If you end up getting a kill shot and you want to have some B-roll to make a video, yeah, which is what I'm doing, I'm actually getting all the B-roll that I have from this year, plus the kill shot. I'm getting it over to Mark Mazura, who owns Sons of the Hunt, and they put out amazing videos. Yeah, I've I mean, heard his just, podcast before with... Uh, oh, yeah, Dan. his podcast is really cool. So yeah. they their podcast starts with talking about hunting and then it ends with talking about beer. Awesome. <laughs> it's a really guy. neat podcast. <laughs> Mark's an awesome guy. And I got to tell you, out of the guys that I've met through PA Bowhunting, the site PA Bowhunting, Mark Mazur is a team member there and so am I. And Mark is just a phenomenal hunter. When it comes to bow hunting mature deer, He's just phenomenal. I mean, he has put down multiple, multiple mature deer uh, with a bow and arrow. And he's just, he's a younger guy, a few years younger than me. I just bought a new house, him and his wife. He just got married, but he's just a great guy. So, and he puts together some amazing videos. So, and he was like, last night he said, what are you doing with these video clips? I said, I have no idea. And he's like, well, get them to me and we'll put something together. I'm like, okay, as long as we focus on, the habitat projects that this year is utilizing. He's like, I yep. have the same exact thought. Let's let's tell that story in video form. So exactly. so I'm really excited for that. Awesome. that. You know, it'll probably take a couple weeks or a month to get that out. Um, but I'm really excited to get that out too. But yeah, awesome, thanks so for having we'll, me yeah. on, man. Oh, no problem. We'll pay attention to that. Love to share the video whenever it comes out. And uh, 
Teddy, thanks again for coming on. Are you uh, you have another buck tag in PA, or how's that work? No, no, we only get one buck tag. Okay. Yeah, we only get one. I'm all done in PA with doe tag, and uh, I'll probably harvest it. It's for our cabin. My family owns a cabin up north, and um, that's where I got my doe tag for. So uh, I'll probably harvest the doe there. But to be honest with you, I'm leaving for Montana in uh, five days to hunt elk and mule deer. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, so if I come home with an elk or or even a muley, I'll – I'll have a fairly full freezer. I got into goose hunting this year. Never done goose hunting before. I got into goose hunting, and we had a phenomenal day a few weeks ago. We uh, we put down me and three other guys. We put down sixteen geese. Oh wow! Nine of them, nine of them were banded. You're and, kidding uh, me! Holy cow. No, it was just it was an incredible day, man. They came in small family groups, you know, four, five, six geese at a time, uh, and they just kept decoying in for us, and it was just. I was like, man, if this is what goose hunting is, I'm all about it. It's <laughs> no, so much no, fun. I've goose hunted for a long time, and if you get one band a year, that's kind of a big deal. To get nine out of sixteen is just—you guys literally found the family they banded and shot the family. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure of it. The, the, <laughs> there was two groups back to back that came in, and there was multiple bands in each group. So yeah, yeah we, we definitely crazy. hit the jackpot for bands. But even minus the jewelry, I yeah, mean, these so birds just. Coming in, oh, when they decoy in and they lock those wings and they get that drunk wobble before they land, I was like, man, that was just so neat to experience, especially having never experienced anything like that. So my freezer is full of goose meat right now, uh, soon to be full of deer meat, and hopefully, God willing, uh, it'll be full of elk meat here in a week. So uh, so I, I'm, I'm hoping that I can feed my family a lot of wild game this winter. Well, hey, man, I wish you luck on your elk hunt. Thanks again for coming on. You shot a beautiful eight-point buck. I'd love to share the pictures. Go ahead and shoot those over. We'll get those up. And uh, you know what? Just thanks again, Teddy. Really appreciate it. Thanks. For- well, guys, that's a wrap. Teddy Clark, the Pennsylvania killer. I mean, I really enjoyed that podcast. I, this is just so much fun doing this stuff, guys. I'm not even just saying that. I really like talking deer hunting with fellow deer hunters and habitat work. I mean, I we tried to get out, my wife and I, on well, last night, Saturday night. My blind was filled with uh, hornets, so we ended up not being able to hunt. Uh, this is the next best thing, talking hunting with your friends. I mean, I love it. Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you guys learned something from that podcast. I know I did. Um... And actually, for the last three game plan podcasts, including this one, a cold front seems to be the common denominator. Keep that in mind coming up, guys. Um, If you want to hear more from us at the Habitat Podcast, go to HabitatPodcast.com. We're on Facebook.com slash Habitat Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio. I found a new one today. Uh, what's this one called? Player.fm. Yeah, I'm not sure we're on there, though. Um, just You know what? We love the fact that you guys are listening. I hope you guys have a good week, week weekend in the woods. I hope you guys kill something nice. Um, let us know how you're doing. Send me some pictures. Go on Facebook. Uh, go on the email on the website. Shoot me a text, whatever. I'll post them up. Love to see how you guys are doing and putting this stuff into action. But anyways, thank you so much for listening. I want to thank our sponsors, The Habitat Hook and Packer Max line of call to Packers. 
two friends of mine who haven't killed a buck yet that I know, but, you know, they're getting out and trying to. So I wish you guys some luck. Hopefully I'll be out again this weekend. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate you listening. As we become better habitat managers, get out and enjoy your woods. Have a good night. Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight, Western. Mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.